Welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer, and this is an independent music podcast. And my guest today is Steve Gunn. The music that's playing us in, I'm sure you probably figured out, is also Steve Gunn, and that is the song New Moon from his album, 2019 album, The Unseen In Between. And um, it's an honor to have him on the show. And if you like his music or if you're new to his music, please check out uh, in the show notes. There's links to his band camp and his website, and you can purchase more or some of his music. And it's important to support artists in this time of COVID. Streaming doesn't do it. Um, if you're a first-time listener to this show, uh, welcome. It, it, as I said, it's a music podcast. I, I highlight uh, some new artists, established artists, and then I also have legendary artists. Um, I have a wide variety of guests. I've had Boots Riley, Tim Presley, Danita Sparks from L7, Wayne Kramer from the MC5, David Yao from the Jesus Lizard, to name a few. You could go to my Linktree link in the show notes, and that'll take you to my uh, social media, and you could go on the Instagram, and you can get a better idea of some of my past guests. And also, if you want to support the podcast, you can come become a Patreon subscriber, and that would be great. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a whole world there, a culture, if you will. Um, like this Steve Gunn interview was also videoed through Zoom, so you could watch the video of it and see his handsome face and my head of hair that hasn't been cut in eight months. Um, there's also usually the interviews go longer, so I, I'll post the unedited version. You get the whole thing, not edited down uh, like you do on here. And uh, there's blogs about music and videos, and there's a whole bunch of stuff. So I would greatly appreciate it if you became a supporter and also there should be some new merch coming some really great cool merch and if not just tell your friends about the show that also helps out a lot just be like hey i love steve gunn and this guy had a really cool talk with him i would appreciate that and uh that being said this is a really great conversation with steve gunn i was uh very as i said honored and let's get to my conversation with steve gunn Is it pretty sparse in Brooklyn these days? Are people still fleeing? Yeah, a lot of people. It's hard, it's really hard to tell, you know. Um, but it, a lot of people seem to have been relocating. A lot of people went left and have gone upstate or have moved, you know, to different places in the country, down south, wherever. It seems like a lot of people. At the same time, there's still people here. A lot of my friends are still here but I haven't really seen them, you know, um, but a few have left too. So it's kind of a mix. Yeah. I have a lot of friends who've moved to North Carolina and I don't, I've never been. Same, same with me. (laughs) I wonder what that is. I don't know. Besides it's cheap as fuck. Yeah. I have friends. I have one friend who I play music with. He's yeah. He, now he lives in Durham. Um, I think, that whole triangle is really nice. It's kind of appealing. You know, it's a lot for musicians and artists. They've got universities and venues and it's kind of pretty laid back and not expensive. Do you ever think about, cause you, you seem pretty as New York, like very ingrained in New York. Do you ever think about escaping or no? Yeah, I do. I've always, I've been here a while. I'm from Philadelphia originally. Right. Um, so I'm kind of close to my family and I'm kind of New York 
has been a place, you know, it's been easy for me to go to travel quite a bit from here, you know, to go to Europe or to kind of go wherever. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I feel myself wanting to live somewhere different. I'm still, you know, I'm still not sure. It's really, it's a really hard decision. You know, I'll go, I'll go to a place and I'll think, Oh gosh, this is, this is exactly where I want to live. And then that feeling. <laughs> I'm laughing because I do the same thing. <laughs> like every time my wife and I stop in a town, she's, I'm like, I want to live here. And she's like, you do this with every fucking place. Like if it's kind of hip or yeah, urban. Same with me. Yeah. Same with me. I'm like, this is, I could, I'm going to live here. I love it here. Do you think that and has, then, and then I'll forget <laughs> like the next week. I'll be like, Oh wait, I want do you think there's well, a, here, no. any, uh, I don't know if this is, question is a jump, but it, there, is there any connection to that and creativity and the curiosity that sort of comes with that? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm always, I, I feel I've been traveling so much the past 10 years and I get really enamored with locations and with places and with cities and I kind of fall for them in different ways. And I kind of, and it's also, you know, it's, it's always, I know that I'm always really leaning towards the fantasy of, of the city as well. Not the practicality of, of living in a, in an expensive city or a place that might not fulfill my needs totally. Um, so it's, I, for me, it's sometimes a little bit deceiving but I, I, I daydream about it. You know. do, do you think there's also a connection of like, do you feel centered like when you travel that much or does it, I'm always curious about that because like, folks who are on the road so much, I'm like, does that get exhausting or does that just become this weird sort of world that you live in? So when you fantasize about a city, you're sort of also maybe fantasizing about, I don't know, more of a centered existence. Yeah, I think this year with not traveling, (laughs) I realized how much I I needed a break from it, you know. Um, And yeah, I I got kind of, you know, you get kind of caught up in in the movement of it and the the momentum of playing every night and seeing your friends in different places and, you know, becoming more comfortable in the places that you visited in the past and knowing your way around the places you've been. And, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's weird because you go to so many of these places and then you're like, Oh, you feel placed in, in certain locations and you feel comfortable in certain locations. It's almost a way of feeling comfortable when you're on the road. And when I feel that way, I'm always like, I could, I could live here. I have friends here. It's a, it's a wonderful place. This is also in Europe as well, you know, places, cities in Europe and stuff like that. So I don't know. I got kind of thrown around, but I also felt really centered by, by having the opportunity to travel and to play gigs and to travel with friends that, that in a weird way, it felt really grounding. And it's also it, at the same time, it's, it is exhausting and very sort of, non-overt ways you know where the exhaustion kind of stacks up on you and then you you did you finish 
a long stretch of travels and then you realize how utterly exhausted you are on, on so many on different levels too. Yeah. You know? Has been, it makes it hard to func it, ma- it makes it hard to function normally, I guess. Yeah, when you get home yeah. after something like that, does it take a a period of adjustment to sort of click out of it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> and it's, not, it's not necessarily like I'm. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just it's an adjustment, you know. Because and look, I haven't been on. I haven't done anything for almost a year, but. Previously, in 2019, I was I traveled as much as I had ever traveled ever like in my life, and it was super exhausting. But I also got caught up in a routine where I got my stuff. That's all I need. <laughs> I got these two <laughs> cases. I've got you know I simplified all this stuff while moving around so much that I had these routines. Okay, like today is it's the point of the day where I'm going to do this. And I have my belongings and I'm going to take them and go to this other place. And when all that ends, it's, it's, it's also, it's also wonderful to take a break and to, to sit in a chair and like not go anywhere. But yeah, there's, it's deceiving. There's a lot of illusions that come along with playing music and traveling. And you have this sort of purpose every night. And when that gets kind of pulled from you and you have to sort of slip back into normalcy. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I'm not complaining by any means, but it, you kind of have to find a balance with it or you're either going to start leaning on (laughs) different sort of, you know, um, you know, you're going to start tapping into habitual behavior that might not be healthy, you know, stuff like that. You know, I worry about my musician friends who kind of have that, they have that vulnerability where if if they don't have this set purpose and they're, they are home alone, um, you know, they can, they can get into some trouble on, on in different levels. But luckily I, I'm not one of those people per se, but I have a lot of friends who, you know, who have been struggling lately. Um, so I guess, I guess to go all the way back to your question, um, were you were asking me that is it grounding to travel? I can't even remember. Sorry. Uh, no, I can't remember. <laughs> if, uh, fuck. I'm going to start. Ram- I, I really ramble. Oh, that's okay. I was interested in what you were saying. Uh, I think, I think that, that, that you were seeking something more grounded when you fantasize about those, about those, um, towns because you you move around so much but um i was curious if there's a reassessment of like because do you write when you're on the road like because i'm thinking like now that you've been home for so long if that is uh, allowed you to reassess your creative approach it has and it's been really great i have written stuff in the past on the road just kind of out of necessity um but this this year I basically kind of worked at home, you know, um, and to be kind of in, in one place and to not be so distracted and move, move around so much. I think it was, it was really, I embraced the opportunity, <laughs> you know, I have embraced the break, I guess. And 
I had a, I have a lot of friends as well that felt uninspired. Like I can't, you know, I can't play, I can't work. And I don't feel like doing anything, but for me, it, it almost was sort of the opposite where I just, that's all I did for a couple of months, you know, um, was just play. And I, and I also kind of think about myself as a kid, you know, as a teenager, I was a very bedroom oriented locked door kind of kid where I liked my solitude and I, I have a very small footprint and I just need a little notebook and a guitar. And I kind of reverted to that self again. And it's been a while since I've been able to really tap into just being in one place for a long time. So it was nice in a way. And I got, I worked on a bunch of stuff. I've been working on a record. I actually was out um, in LA uh, a couple, like two months ago before things really got bad again. Um, and I, so I, I kind of wrote a record and I'm working on it and I'm going to try to finish it when things sort of settle down. And I wrote the whole thing just kind of at home, you know, um, and that before I was always trying to piece together stuff on the road and also in the studio, you know, on the fly. And it's re- it was really nice to not have to do that and to work slowly and send you know, some demos to friends and get feedback and redo them and just, I don't know, just have as much time as I needed. That felt really nice. Yeah. Are you, cause I, I read some things about that where you'd like some of your earlier albums, there was more of a, like a immediacy to get them done where, uh, and then lately the last, you've been giving yourself more time to sort of. Li- yeah. 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 I have been, I think, I, it's just different you know I I think I've just been learning how to work I never was this I, I came to songwriting in a weird kind of circuit, circuitous way and when I first started making records I was just going alright let's just do it you know I wasn't really plotting things or thinking them out which you know in, in a certain in a different respect that can be rewarding and it was, but I think as I kept doing it, I sort of learned how to work a little slower and started taking my time with it. You know, with working slower, does that allow for perhaps more introspection with your work, like more person, a more personal approach? If that. Yeah. Yeah. And a little more introspection and, just a little more <laughs> musicality, I guess, you know, and a little more editing and thinking, trying to, you know, really work on the music a little harder and longer and just revising it and making it feel a little more solid. I think before I was more it's more felt more of kind of a stream of consciousness kind of thing and now it's almost more of a constructive way to work i guess it it depends on you know every every sort of thing i'm doing sometimes different I, i i kind of go in between different things i'm still doing improvisation music and writing songs and kind of random kind of different stuff yeah you do a lot of, I mean, you're 
library is it's fascinating and your musical interests and I, what i was reading about and i found yeah. this really interesting is that the house that you moved into in philly when you were 18 18 was it 18 19 and it was like yeah, yeah. 10 people living there and that at least the impression i got from the article was that this was a one of the spaces that music really opened up to you because there was like so many records there yeah and i was true. just curious about that because i feel like everybody anybody who's interested in something creative or even just me who's somebody who loves music and is completely incapable of creating it <laughs> I, I, I wish i wish i could it's like i've said this uh -huh. to other people but it's like it, to me it's like you uh you're superheroes and magicians or something to me because it's just to me i'm just in awe of it but i was curious what yeah. what were those if if you can remember like what were things that just like were these like shocking sort of like uh, epiphanies of music that you discovered in that era um well okay i i moved i was living in the suburbs in philadelphia um and was very close to the city so i was always going into the city since my late teens going to visit friends and hang out with friends um and I've, you know, I went sort of going to college locally in Philadelphia and I moved into a house in West Philly, like you said, with, there's a lot of people living there and there, I kind of, I felt really lucky because I moved into a place that where there were people living there, you know, maybe five to seven years previous to me moving in there. And these were people who were also musicians and record collectors and people in bands. And it was the kind of house where bands would stay there when, when they were on tour. And this, this kind of carried over into when I moved there. So I suddenly I was, there were bands sleeping on our couch. There were late nights, you know, record listening sessions, people arguing a lot of, <laughs> you know, a lot of like just, sort of chaos and fun at the same time. And I got, I kind of stepped into it and it was really the first time that I had kind of felt autonomous, but I was also playing a lot. I was taking lessons and practicing and figuring out and learning about music. And, um, for me, you know, just flipping through <coughs> stacks of records in this house that I lived in, um, I, I just started kind of exploring all this stuff. And I think one, one time, the one, one concert that really kind of changed me was I, I was living in West Philadelphia and there was a community center that was maybe, you know, a 10 minute walk from our house. And this was, I think, gosh, it was when I was 18 or 19, um, the Sunrise orchestra played in this, center it was a community center um and there the show completely completely blew me away and i had never seen anything like that i was interested in jazz and listening to jazz at, the, at, at a pretty young age from listening to the radio but seeing the orchestra play was a really sort of pivotal moment for me and the fact that they did live in philadelphia and the fact that I could go see them whenever they were playing and I would see them around the city 
and I kind of got friendly with a few of the members and, um, just to know that they were in Philadelphia, uh, was really inspiring to me and my friends, you know? Um, but also at the same time I was going to tons of shows and I was sneaking into bars and seeing bands, you know, like guided by voices or I was, there's a band called Bardo Pond that was kind of a heavier, they are still around. Um, I saw them a lot and there was, you know, there were a lot of cool bands and shows coming through. This was talking about like the late nineties. Um, so I was in a good spot and in a, in a, a sort of very good place where I was living as well. And just, I was able to kind of, you know, really experience all this stuff very quickly. Um, which in, when I think about it, um, now it really set me in, in this long, longer trajectory, which where, how I kind of directed myself and how I ended up moving to New York and getting a little bit more serious about playing and, 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 and that stuff that happened later. But it, I think my real sort of like affinity for learning about music kind of happened right at, right at that moment when I, when I left my parents' house, but it also began before that because my parents were also really interested in music and my mother was a record collector in the, you know, early sixties. And she has, she gave me her 45 collection recently. Um, and it's all, yeah, it's all local, you know, it's some sort of major label stuff, but she was really into local soul and R and B. And she used to go, she lived in the city, like in the edge of the city where there was, you know, um, she used to go to these dances like American bandstand and, and some of the other ones as a kid and she had older siblings. So they were all into music and she would, she, she saw all the, these amazing shows and was really interested in radio. And, um, and same thing with my dad, they grew up in the same neighborhood and we're, we're like music was a very sort of like central part of their lives. And it became one, one of mine at a young age. And, uh, I think I kind of got that obsession from them. So, I think when I, when I, just to wrap up this thought, I, uh, when I moved into, sorry, when I moved into that house, you know, I think, and then seeing the Sunrise Orchestra, that was a really, uh, just, it's, a, you know, it was the, the music, it mystified me and it excited me and it was spiritual and it was, free and it was just this I had been listening to a lot of hardcore and really tightly wound anxious music a lot of for formulaic music and what when I started listening to more progressive stuff and things that I didn't really understand and things that in a sense sort of scared me was more was more exciting to me than stomping around trying to be like <laughs> tough or something. You know? <laughs> I totally relate. And I listened to a lot of that stuff too. And I, uh, and I think I must've thought on some level I was kind of tough, which I wasn't like, I, 
I've, I've been punched a lot. Yeah. I've rarely thrown a punch. <laughs> yeah. But like, I know I saw, and I don't mean this as a negative against it, but I know I saw you, I read about you seeing the Jesus lizard who still remains to be one of my favorite bands, but yeah, there is an aggression, but though, I don't know if you've ever met Yao, one of the sweetest men on earth. Yeah, no, I haven't met him, but I can, you know, that's a good point because he, I saw them and you know, I saw, I've seen many bands that had, that felt scary to me, but David Yao's <laughs> presence was very, but like, it, 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 it was very powerful. Yes. It, it's so powerful, but it didn't feel like dangerous. He, he, I could tell that he was a kind person. You know, the aggression wasn't dangerous. And I've seen, I remember the one of the first concerts that I ever saw was, was Danzig. <laughs> and he came, I was 13 years old. And it was really the, one of the first bigger concerts. It certainly was the big, the first metal concert that I had ever been to. But well, first he came out and he punched somebody like right away within 20 seconds. He smacked some dude and he punched some guy square in the face. And I was like, I just was so freaked out that he was so confrontational and angry, you know? And I felt, scared. I was a little person, you know. Um but and, and of course I guess I've seen that in other bands, but I guess talking about the Jesus Lizard, I I felt I wasn't, you know, I didn't feel like his aggression or energy was coming from a from a, like a dark place. There's a there's a you know? I think it's hard to see, but I think there's a humor within what he does too. Because he there's Yeah. Uh, and I've seen him, I've seen him play with a, like a, in a small venue with a different band, not the Jesus Lizard. And it was, I mean, he's incredible. I, he's one of my favorite front men. And, but it was that. He, he is, he is, he is in the, is he in the being, I mean, I saw him here. He posted like a Neil Hamburger joke on Twitter. Like he is, he seems to be like a humorous person. I, He's done. I know he's done like stand up. He's given it a shot, which I think wow. is interesting. I he's, could see that. Yeah, we've he did the podcast, and then we've inadvertently like just through mutual friends and stuff, we ended up becoming friendly. And he's hilarious and like very silly. And I told him that he mm-hmm. scared a friend of mine. Like a friend of mine was legitimately scared of him, and he almost seemed hurt. He was like, Oh, Oh, I, I, okay. <laughs> it was like, and I was, yeah. it was so interesting because, I mean, he's a, he's, I, I wonder, I don't know. There's must be something he's trying to release or who knows when he goes there. Mm-hmm. Did you, yeah. and, did you, and you played that kind of music for a bit, right? Uh, well, I, I, I was in hardcore bands when I, yeah, I, I was in a, I played, I was like a little hardcore skate rat kind of kid. And I was happened to, you know, I was taking bass lessons when I was a teenager and then I started playing guitar, but I was going, I was into sort of this local hardcore scene in Philadelphia, New Jersey, a little bit of New York, but um, this is, you know, when I was like 15 and 
I was traveling with my best friend, you know, we were like going to, we would drive to Jersey or drive out in Pennsylvania or something, go to these shows. And we were sort of making friends. And I ended up playing in a band when I was 15, filling in for a bass player, (laughs) you know? So I was like, this is very formulaic, like one, two, three, four, you know, three or four chord power chord kind of stuff. Um, and then after that, I got into, you know, more of the DC kind of stuff. Like I saw Fugazi and I got really interested in the Discord catalog and then the bands that were peripherally kind of influenced by them that were a little bit younger, that, um, bands that were on smaller labels. Um, there's a label from San Diego uh, I think they're from San Diego, yeah, called Gravity Records, and it was more real noisy bands and kind of almost a, kind of riding the lines of post-hardcore Jesus Lizard kind of stuff. I think that there, for me, it was that I can kind of place myself in the generation of hardcore of a hardcore kid that was five generations later. You know, like a, a lot of bands were were emulating other bands, but I didn't know the original bands. Right. I guess so. Perhaps some of the bands that I was listening to were emulating Jesus Lizard, um, but then I became a Jesus Lizard fan after the fact kind of thing. You know what I mean? (laughs) If that makes sense, I don't know. Um, Was, and that, when you started hearing things like Sun Ra and uh, like uh, Jack Rose, and was that, did that definitely sort of push you in musically what you wanted to do in a different direction? Uh, well, yeah, I think Jack, Jack, meeting Jack Rose happened a little later. Um, but with the sun was seeing Sun Ra orchestra, you know, I would, I had, I know I knew I learned about them through, you know, like I said, I moved into this house with some older people and, they're from Philadelphia. So I, I knew about them and I'd heard their music, but I had never seen them. So, and at the same time, there were a lot of bands there on and labels. And there was a label in Philadelphia called Silk Breeze Records. And there were a lot of bands coming through playing. There was a warehouse uh, called the Astrocade, which had more kind of open-ended improv, the sort of noisy bands. And that all, all that stuff was new to me but it, I became very sort of interested in it. Um, and in, within my, I was started playing with other people. We even randomly, you know, let's go down in the basement and play, but we were suddenly I was just doing all of these sort of open jams, you know, and like, and having pedals and experimenting with sounds and, mostly just doing noise stuff, you know, not really understanding what any of us were doing. And, um, I guess in a sense playing freely, playing freely. And I think it was just influenced by seeing bands and, you know, jazz musicians improvising and listening to very obscure, strange records and being very enamored by them. So it changed my playing. Um, and at the same time, I I saw and met around maybe a year or two later, someone like Jack Rose, for instance, I did see him play at this venue that I mentioned. 
which was basically a warehouse. Um, and for me, that was great, but it was a warehouse because it wasn't a smoky bar and it almost felt kind of anything could happen at this place musically and socially. And you didn't have to leave at a certain time and you didn't have to be a certain age and just felt really, and it was also a nice community and very welcoming there. And for me, it was a, I started meeting people and I met Jack Rose at this venue. He was playing with a band called Pelt who are still around. And those guys are my friends. They do long form improvisational stuff. And they also played, they were the main member, Mike Gangloff. He's a, you know, very proficient in old time music and he's master at that as well. Super interesting guy and really interesting group of musicians. And Jack was involved with them. And that's the first time I saw him play guitar and I met him and, um, we sort of became friends and, um, that was, you know, I would see him around the city and we worked in the same market, this place called Reading Terminal Market, which was just a, basically a farmer's market. And he, and I would just, I, I more so me, I would go and just chit chat with him. And, and shortly after he started practicing guitar all the time, I think he, you know, he lost his job at the coffee shop and he was just unemployed and practiced guitar all the time. And fast forward about six months to a year, I see him play solo and I was completely just blown away, astounded by what he was somehow figured out how to do. And I later realized that he was, had already been in bar bands when he was younger and like he knew his way around the guitar, but I didn't, I didn't know that. But anyway, seeing him do that and accomplish that and achieve that was like, it was really very inspiring to me. And the fact that he was a friend, he was also a very generous guy with, with his, with what he did. He, he just offered, you know, he was very helpful and told me, you know, check this out or check, you know, check out these videos. You know, there was this, there's this guy named Stefan Grossman, who, who is like a guitar blues sort of historian who is a player himself, but he makes these instructional videos, different styles. And, you know, Fahey did a video and he also will do like, you know, certain blues players and, you know, this, it's like the double screen stuff, you know, you can split screen and see how they're doing it. And, um, for me, that's really when I started. Jack really inspired me to get serious about playing. And I had already been practicing a ton, but I think he just sort of set the bar so high, like way higher than any of us kind of meandering around Philadelphia. And he just proved to me that like certain things were possible that I didn't personally, I didn't think I could achieve, you know, but it was inspiring. I guess. Um, so to tie that all together, I think this is all around the time that I moved to Philly and you know, it was a real, just being in that city at that time provided a lot of opportunities just to learn and to experience stuff. You know, um, I didn't, I didn't have any real desire to leave or, 
until like years later, but it just was a, an interesting community. And I kind of found my footing just on my own as well. I was really so solitary in my own musical practice. I didn't play out very much, but I practiced a lot. And I talked to Jack a lot about, about playing, the playing, you know, did, did there take, <clears throat> excuse me. It was there, um, I don't know how to word it. Like a, a hesitance. Cause I know you were like making your own CDs and stuff, but in your room in New York, like w- when you began singing and stuff and was there a, like a, not a fear, but like a hesitance to sort of expose that side of your creativity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was <laughs> playing a lot of improvised stuff and, noisy stuff and a kind of in, in situations where like you don't even know who's playing what and you know and I enjoyed jamming and playing openly and freely but at the same time I wasn't doing that privately I was practicing as really nerdy exercises and really devoting a lot of time to it um and I think that people didn't really know that I was practicing so much in this. So, and it, it was sort of separated, you know, I would do like a CDR of like a, a you know, a, someone like fuzz guitar. It sounds like three fuzz guitars and some couple of drunk people like jamming <laughs> or, and then I would do, slowly I would let sort of let out these songs that I was making where I was actually like, right. You know, I was writing lyrics and singing and listening to a lot of folk music and listening to a lot of people like Bert Janch and people who were playing fingerstyle, but also in open tunings and more jazzy kind of thing, I guess, um, for lack of a better description, but I was, it almost felt separated I could, there was no way to bridge those two kind of musics together. And over time I, you know, I finally made a solo CD of my own music, which were, which was acoustic guitar and vocals and somewhat, some of it was instrumental. And then, you know, that kind of branched into me doing more releases in that way. And also still doing more of the improv stuff, but, I guess that's normal, but for me, there was a separation. Personally, I, you know, uh, and people, not 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 particularly too much, but I think some folks were like, "Whoa, dude! Like, I didn't know you were writing these heartfelt songs in your bedroom. I thought you were just like to play fuzzwall." You know? <laughs> How? <laughs> Because you were playing a lot with other people. How I don't know if this is a strange question, but it's in my brain, so I'm going to ask it. Like, yeah. to to start singing is that like because you sort of have to develop that and your style. Like, I I don't. What was that like? Yeah. To, I mean, can you remember what it, that was like to be like, all right, I'm going to sing for the first f- fucking time, like. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, it was it's, it was really frightening <laughs> and scary. Um, and I think I did it 
it almost as if there was a veil over my face and over my energy where I wasn't projecting my voice. I just couldn't do it. So I would sing really softly and I know, you know, it was also just nerves. I wasn't trained a singer. I never sang, I never spoke in public. I never sang really any time of a fairly quiet person. So it took a lot. It, I think it took years for me to get the ability to, to project my voice. And I think, uh, I didn't really start singing in a real way until I started getting invited to play shows, particularly in Europe and stuff. I remember the first couple of gigs and it was, it was a very interesting, um, experience for me because it was, I really had to let myself go and just do it. And after a few times, it was this, it, it felt very almost therapeutic in a way where it was this challenge that I knew I had to work on. But the fact that I did it a few times, it, I felt the challenge getting a little easier, you know, it was a frightening proposition for me before I was before doing it. But then finally I was like, I'm just going to go do it. And, you know, it's like the first couple of times I did it, I'm in a room with all my friends. So for me, it was quite scary, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it got, it got some, the, the way that it got easier was I had this friend who lived in Paris who, who, um, was putting, he would book shows and he booked me to play in Paris and he booked me to play at this festival in France. And he, he, he essentially he strung a little tour for me together. And that really was the moment where I, okay, I, you know, I packed in my bag, I packed my acoustic, I flew to Europe. I took all these trains here. I am playing in these rooms where most of the time I, I couldn't speak their native language. And I'm this traveling. Suddenly I'm this traveling singer, you know? And so I had to kind of step into that. Even if I wasn't ready, it was a jump into it. And I, I learned a ton those years really uh, of touring by myself and playing acoustically. Sometimes, you know, when you have acoustic, you really have to kind of fill the room. And yeah, I don't know. I learned how to sing doing that. I think I'm still learning. <laughs> you know right. how to do it. Was there a when you were in your room uh, with because there's a fear that goes with exposing that? But was there also this driving? Because I, I don't know. Sometimes you have like a fear and an insecurity about something, but you're also like, I can fucking do this. So there's that sort of back yeah. and forth. Were you were you struggling with that? Do you mean? struggling with with feeling inadequate and like feeling like I can't do it like the yeah well the back and forth of like the drive to do it and but then also the fear of going into the new territory I don't know was that yeah I hope I heard yeah it, it, no 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 yeah I, I definitely felt that um and but I it's strange because I my mom 
my mom is a songbird of sorts where she sings all the time, you know, like she'll sing on the, she sings along with the radio and kind of got that from her. So I felt like singing was a natural thing to, for me, but it was more getting over the, the shyness and just feeling comfortable and projecting. Right. <laughs> you know, and, um, I also really, you know, I was there at the time, you know, speaking of Jack Rose, this is a, a time where people were learning how to play a certain style of guitar, like instrumental acoustic guitar. And I learned a lot of that style of playing, but I also, I didn't want to just become this solo guitar player in that realm. Like, you know, I felt like that category was unfair to, to a lot of players and, you know, the, the reference points for that kind of style, like, Oh, you sound like John Fahey, well, you know, and you're influenced by Jack Rose and you play American American primitive music is what they called it. And I loved that style and I loved it. That style of playing helped me learn how to play guitar and it taught me how to construct songs, but I never wanted to really hone in on that style or be a part of that category. I don't think many, many people didn't. <laughs> I just sort of became this name for that style, I guess. Um, but so singing, so I was practicing all this guitar instrumental stuff, but I also really wanted to sing and so it took a while, but I kind of took what I learned from the solo guitar stuff and just started writing stories and words. And I mean, this sounds so silly because it's so simple, but for me it was, I was never up in my room learning Beatles tunes or, or like learning singing Led Zeppelin songs or anything. I was more, I learned how to play guitar and then the singing came a little later. So it felt disjointed at first and I it, it, it was a it was just a new it was a new sort of ter new language of music and territory for me so it took it took some stumbling and I would write these songs and I wouldn't know how to end them and I wouldn't know how to put like certain chords or bridges or choruses I had no idea what I was doing in that respect so it was just a bit more of a rambling kind of thing um, so I guess, yeah, I don't know. It just took me years to figure out my footing, but luckily at the time I was making, this is when people were making tons of CDRs and actually being able to sell them. Like I could sell them at, on, on the web and at, at my local stores where, you know, people were being supported, like, you know, other music in New York. And there was a website called Volcanic Tongue it, that was based out of Scotland where they would, you could write to them and say, Hey, like I made this recording. I'm going to make 20 CDRs. Okay. We'll get, we'll get 10. And then they would review it and people would buy it and then say, Hey, do you have any more of those? You could go and get some more and burn them, making yourself that kind of stuff. Um, so that at, at, at the time I was like making recordings that way and also figuring out what I was doing and, I kind of navigated all that stuff. 
that's and eventually made record you know made a proper record later i guess you collaborate a lot is there a reason like what draws you towards collaborating with somebody or is it just more of an organic happening um i really like yeah it's pretty organic i I like playing by myself quite a bit, but I also really like the the uh, the opportunity of chance and seeing where you can take something with another person musically, especially when it's someone who's like very open and you can kind of just be free and see what happens. You know, I feel like sometimes that can be very rewarding. Not all the time, of course, but <laughs> if you catch it, <laughs> if you catch it at the right time, right. I, I also feel like I'm the kind of player who has that. I'm not a master, uh, a master improviser or anything like that, but my intuition pushes me in different directions. That I, I don't necessarily would find myself in if I was, you know, in my room by myself. Right. Um, so I, I like that exchange a lot. Yeah, I just when researching you, uh, it, you, if I don't, I felt like I got a mini music education because there were so many artists that I was like, maybe I heard names or, but I was like, man, this guy is a, just a walking library of music, and but one that I was who I didn't know was Black Twig Pickers, and that album that you did with them is, it's incredible. Like I was just blown away oh, by thanks. it. Yeah, <laughs> but I wanted to bring it up because it was, I mean, I love all the things that you've done, but I hadn't heard that and it just really, I don't know, it just struck some sort of chord in me. Yeah, well, I mentioned this band before called Pelt, which were from, they're from Virginia and Jack, that's kind of how I met Jack because he was in Pelt and they were this amazing group, they still are. Um, and the, the, the founder, this guy, Mike Gangloff, he is, he started the black twig pickers. So the black twig pickers is essentially with a few other members, um, this band Pelt who play these really incredible long form open-ended sort of, um, drum and different improvisational kinds of pieces. Um, they're, they're in my opinion, they're master musicians and another member of the group who is a close friend of mine. His name is Nathan Bowles. He's a banjo player, a lot of drummer as well. He was in my band, but he, he makes solo recordings. Um, for He's made a couple of really great albums solo, but he's also in the Black Twigs and is also in Pelt. So those guys, that band, and those guys kind of go back even to my sort of beginnings of opening myself up to seeing shows and to, to the music that I became really enamored with. And Mike Gangloff, was a very, very, very close friend and, and of Jack's and influenced him greatly. And talk about encyclopedic knowledge of music. I mean, this guy knows about so much stuff and he's so generous with his knowledge and also with his playing. And I fell in, you know, I knew them from back then, but I also had kept up with them and Black Twig Pickers. And I, you know, I went down to Virginia and I made a collaborative record with Mike Gangloff. We did a solo, just he and I did a improv improvisational record 
Um, and it was this really amazing experience. And I, you know, he was, uh, he's an incredible, that band is just, yeah, they're very, very good. And it's interesting because they play old timey music and they're very knowledgeable, but they don't play, you know, they play stuff that you would, that you may not have heard of stuff that's more in the darker corners of, of that, the folk history of, of that music, which to me is, is, is incredible. And also just way more interesting than if you were going to play the hits of, you know, the regions of that town where you go to these, um, banjo and bluegrass festivals or where people camp out and play tunes. They're all kind of playing, usually playing or, uh, you know, kind of maybe 10 or 12, 15 of the same songs are floating around these campgrounds. Um, but these guys are, they dig very, they dig a lot deeper with the music and they just find this, these amazing songs that they cover, you know? Um, so, I guess to wrap that up, sorry. <laughs> we met and we ended up doing a collaborative recording up at this studio who was run by a friend of ours and he was just getting friends to collaborate. And we went up there and kept it pretty open-ended and played for a couple of days. And it was, it felt really great. Yeah. It's such a um, great thing. For, for me, it was a, uh, a way when we're talking about the music of my singing and my playing and my kind of strange knowledge of music and the, the, of mixing all that, they were such grounding people because they knew exactly where I was coming from and they could help me kind of solidify certain things with, cause I'm like, Oh, you're playing this really, you're playing this super folky blues thing, which I don't even know what I'm doing. And like, oh yeah, we know that. We know that too. And then I just like jump into this and like make this song sort of like completely turn into this beautiful thing that I had no idea that was possible, you know? So it was a really rewarding experience. I hope to, I hope to do that again with them. Yeah. It's, I've, I've, it was a great discovery. So I thank you for that. Just to, to wrap it up, is there anything that you need to, uh, or would like to mention or plug that uh, we didn't cover. Uh, I, I'll put like Bandcamp and all those things in the in the show notes, and I'll definitely make sure people know that. Well, it's already over. <laughs> we can... It's already over. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Please remember to go to the linked tree uh, link in my show notes and support me on Patreon if you can, or just tell your friends about the show. That would really mean a great deal to me. Tell people about the show and follow my social media. And again, if, if you like, join the Patreon, become a subscriber and get bonus material, videos, blogs, all kinds of stuff. Thank you very much for listening.